Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we are talking to Blake Chastain. He is the host of the Exvangelical podcast, which is something that he began three years ago. Um, thank you for coming on the God is Gray podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, we are, I'm going to just trigger warn before we even start. I think we probably sure. will dive into politics and some things that many people may find offensive in different ways. But, you know, as always, I think it's really important to just listen to other people's perspectives on things. And um, even though I'm on the reconstruction side of Christianity and Blake has remained in the uh, deconstruction as an ex-evangelical. <laughs> um, I think, well, I guess I'm technically an ex-evangelical as well, right? Yeah, and we can we can definitely talk about what I think is valuable about that term because uh, I think that's that, that remains interesting and different people come to the term itself with some different preconceptions. Um, and I have a very particular perspective on it, so... Well, let's just jump yeah. into that now. What is sure. an evangelical? Why do you embrace it? Should I? Yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. So, um, so just to give a little context, uh, I, as you mentioned, I have been podcasting under that uh, under that title for a little over three years now, and really, I mean, be, beyond it just being sort of a punny thing, and you know, me enjoying dad jokes, it's it's sort of this. <laughs> succinct way to to be able to identify it to someone else that you have a particular experience. Um, evangelical itself is a sort of slippery term, um, especially in that it can refer to something that's cultural or political or religious, and generally all three. Um, and really just quickly can identify that, hey, you've been in this sort of environments uh you know or a cultural milieu to be really fancy or you just grew up in a particular like church environment and you you have this lived experience um and then you have removed yourself from it for a host of reasons yeah um and really it sort of identifies similar to um say your your ex-husband or your ex-girlfriend um it identifies a prior relationship but it doesn't define your current state. Um, okay, so, yeah. so to me, it just is it. It's it's an adjective. It's not necessarily like a noun. It's not something you are all the time. Um, there was a sociologist that I spoke to. Um, her name is Bethany Gull, and she she gave me this great framework uh, when I spoke to her. When she called evangelicalism a total institution, meaning that it just takes over your entire life. Mm. I don't expect that like with someone um, who leaves evangelicalism and for a time um, 
uses the term exvangelical to help communicate their experience. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a somewhat long-winded answer, but um, but that's the way I think of it. It's not something that describes your entire being or has a like an inherent theology. Um, it's just an identifier of I've got this experience. You might have similar ones, and we might have something in common, even if we don't believe the same things about God in particular um, or spirituality in general. Those things. I, I still think there's a lot of common ground and that people can can relate to one another just based on the fact that you removed yourself from conservative white evangelicalism. And, um, and that's where my main focus is. And that gets back to evangelical being a slippery term <laughs> yeah. uh, because there's evangelicals of color and things like that as well. And that, that may not speak to their experience. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, because <laughs> there is such a camaraderie and uh, it's it's like any other n- niche group of people where you run into each other and you're like, oh my gosh, you had this similar experience. And it runs really deep, obviously, in our veins. If you even know what modesty culture is, or if you have tried to speak in tongues or right. you know, all of the Christianese lingo that is so universal to all of us and you run into somebody that identifies as either a part of that or x then all of a sudden you have all this common ground to work on even if you do have dissimilar experiences in certain ways yeah yeah exactly yeah um so what prompted the exvangelical podcast what was your journey to beginning that yeah so um i actually was really curious the the main impetus was really just trying to understand why myself and so many of my other uh, friends from college uh, moved away from evangelicalism and became more liberal and more outwardly liberal. There, it may very well have been that a lot of us um, were already like secret liberals on a Christian college campus. I went to Indiana Wesleyan University. I graduated in uh, 2005. Um, my first full week of uh, of college was when 9-11 happened and that sort of changed the entire tenor of my experience. I think it would have been very different if that historical event hadn't happened then. Um, I was also... How so? Uh, well, it was um, my program in particular, I was in the history history department and they were very big into double majors um, at the time at least. And so I was, I double majored in history and biblical literature. Um, (laughs) so I, I took two, I took courses in the religion department and in the history department In the history department, a lot of my courses uh, were taught by a professor that taught what he called the biblical Christian worldview, um, which is now I can identify it as like Christian reconstructionism and a couple of other, um, movements, um, that are very conservative and through that experience, I was sort of exposed to a lot of very hawkish ideas about the uh, ramp up to the war in Iraq. Uh, Mm. And I was comparing and contrasting that with learning Greek and learning theology and things like that. And the actual words of Jesus were making me more personally liberal 
Um, and it was a really hard cognitive dissonance to work through. Right. Um, so that sort of began what we now call our like deconstruction. Um, and that set me on that trajectory. I, I chose that school cause I, I wanted to be a pastor and then I felt that I had so much doubt about things that I couldn't do that in good faith, uh, and lead others. And so I didn't pursue that past college. Um, it's not I, an uncommon story that people <laughs> go to these like theological seminary schools and are all of a right. sudden like, wait, you can't um, teach me these two things at the same time, which would be biblical literalism, the original Greek and Hebrew, plus these really narrow-minded fundamentalist evangelical things right. because they do wind up conflicting with one another right even the bible being the inherent of god-breathed inspired word versus wait look at all this contradiction that i'm learning about in my right. theology classes yeah and even even just looking at the text a lot of times uh, that can be a major point of or a starting point and a catalyst uh, for deconstruction of a fundamentalist belief because basically, I mean, biblical literalism and, and in particular inerrancy just crumbles under studying Greek um, right. just because you become, you become far more aware of how the text itself was constructed and how those texts were chosen and all manner of other things that just uh, inerrancy just crumbles. Um and that was my experience too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, that really fascinates me, actually, the more I think about it. I just don't know how that usually was supposed to stand or how that doesn't cause more cognitive dissonance than faith um, for the majority of people that study it. How do you think people usually jump through those herps, uh, hoodle, hoodles, <laughs> well, <laughs> hoops, hurdles, jumping yeah. over hurdles, <laughs> jumping through hoops, um, in that, in that dissonance and in those two conflicting like classes or schools of thought? Um, you mean in particular regarding like the biblical texts and that sort of thing? Um, yeah. Just how do yeah. you survive the conservative Christian experience while si- simultaneously studying theology well, and the original I mean, Greek. Yeah, I think a lot of schools tried to either, you know, split the difference or or using another another cliche like thread the needle and sort of and teach some principles of more modern style biblical criticism um while also adhering to a doctrine of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh you you'll probably find that at at more conservative seminaries, but then there are other places where I think some, some evangelical people that are raised evangelical go to schools like say Duke seminary or Princeton theological. Those are a couple of examples of folks uh, from, from friends that I know who went on to seminary. They saw it as sort of a soft landing place um, because they were able, they then became exposed to other modern theologies mm-hmm. um basically theologians that are outside of fundamentalism that have been working on things and since the 19th 20th centuries and and moving forward and a, a lot of folks do find those theologies much more affirming of life and uh they can they can acknowledge that hey yeah we um 
those theologies make space for saying, oh, well, obviously there was a human element to the production of these texts that were handed down for thousands of years by fallible humans. Um, and they would they would impact the text, and that in and of itself is fascinating. And saying yeah. that is part of the tradition, um, and that's one way in which folks can resolve that and maintain their faith. Some folks just can't or feel no desire to, and then find that as sort of an an exit from that mm-hmm. type yeah. of faith or belief. Yeah, I would say I'm definitely in that school of thought. That's why I love someone like Pete Enns, mm-hmm. um, especially because he's another dad joke fan. And <laughs> <laughs> he speaks to me on my level. It's like such easy reading and at the same right. time so comprehensive and deep. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. But, yeah. you know, I remember the walk out of that space of inerrancy and how, you know, I felt like the Satan breathing down my neck. So I thought just even messing with the idea that humanity could be infused in the Bible. And now the more I've gone on, the more it's so painfully obvious to me that of course. Yeah. And then, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that for a lot of people that are raised in these faith traditions outside of ones like evangelicalism or any that, that, have this really strong view on inerrancy, this is not an issue for them. Right. Um, and it's just not, it's not present in the same way, but that does not negate the amount of stress and concern that a lot of Christians that come from this background feel just by, by trying to be intellectually honest about the text in which they base so much of their, their faith on. Yeah. And that's not, yeah, and that's not to say that that tradition and and other things come into play, but the and because they do, there's lots of norms that are not biblical that are passed off as biblical. <laughs> and like for example, I mean, well, like you can certainly proof text proof text things even like uh complementarianism. I mean, like the thing is with in in these more conservative denominations you have people and leaders that really emphasize these pastoral epistles that are credited to paul mm-hmm. uh, that say you know uh, that wives submit to your husbands and that is super important but then they but then they gloss over other texts attributed to paul like in galatians um, there being neither hebrew nor greek a slave nor free male nor female yeah, which is completely egalitarian. Um, yeah. And this is where that whole John MacArthur Beth Moore drama started, right? With him <laughs> telling her women to go home. Yeah, right. And that's total. I mean, I'm sorry, like that. Even on a theological level, like it's not consistent with the life of Jesus. Right. It's not uh, like Jesus could have some sass, including to to women in the Gospels. But I mean, even the one one single example is the way in which he engages with the woman at the well. That's the longest one-to-one conversation that he has with any individual in the gospels. And Mm. it's with a woman and it's with a woman that he wasn't supposed to speak to societally. Um, So there's all these, I mean, there's all number of ways to uh, approach this, but um, yeah, that's just a couple of examples that come to mind right away. 
Yeah, for sure. And those are the things in short that I I buck against the most. And I try to inform people just of how I've been educating myself. I'm no Mm -hmm. scholar, but I'm here to bring that information and you know, I, I get accused of cherry picking all the time because people think I'm creating this like soft faith where you can be lukewarm, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, what's been illuminated to me so much is how often pastors will cherry pick conveniently for themselves and especially in those clobber verses and with Paul. And I mean, even in, even within the context of, of this program, going back to my own biography a little bit, even within the context of, say, these Bible classes that I was a part of and the, these classes that that were putting me through this emotional ringer, mm-hmm. um, one of the, some of the principles that I was taught there, I still carry with me when I try to think about these texts, which is um, one of my professors talked about how the text should reveal the character of God. And if we understand the character of God to be that of Um, that represented by Jesus and even in other New Testament texts such as first John where it says that God is love Mm. then yeah I'm going to I'm definitely going to emphasize the types of interpretation that align with that principle not the principle that allows you to be an asshole to your spouse yeah (laughs) another another gem from one of my professors was like the genitalia are not known for their wisdom so like so why are you making all this theology around around someone's gender it's just i heard someone on twitter posted today um a sarcastic comment where they were like well we all know men are the only people that receive divine inspiration because their penises are an antenna directly (laughs) 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 and it's like I mean, the amount of arguments, I don't actually engage in them, but the amount of people that have come to me to be like angry that God isn't referred to as male or female, because Mm -hmm. that is just a biblical fact when you look at the Greek and Hebrew and you just acknowledge the simple truth that the American English language has no word for neither male nor female, so we couldn't even use it if we wanted to, but you know... (laughs) The thought of right. uh, fighting with someone online about like, I just want to clarify, you're saying that God has a penis. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Is yeah. that what we're arguing about? Because that is the distinction between male and female. If you really need to call God a man, that's really what you're saying? You think he's a literal being with, with male genitalia? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, just it's in circles, ridiculousness. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I agree. <laughs> but anyway, let's I'm not going to push you. And- <laughs> like I'm going to push back on this actually. <laughs> um, but let's get back into your origin story. Okay, so <laughs> sure. you, so you leave the school, or did you end up graduating? Yeah, I graduated. I I finished. Uh, I I graduated from there. I then sort of spend a couple of years just, just working and, you know, I'm in my early twenties. Um, and eventually, uh, I, I get married, which is what a, a lot of folks do when they're in evangelicalism or leaving evangelicalism. Um, I got married, uh, and then I started going to grad school part-time while working full-time. Um, and it was a sort of, 
I wasn't sure which of these sorts of interests to pursue. So I actually found a master's program with a good amount of leeway, actually. So I could dabble again because um, I wasn't, I sort of just wasn't, wasn't done with that sort of broad exploration. Um, and a couple of things happened. I was able to, I, I took a course on um, energy in the environment um, which was really illuminating and just really contextualized like climate change and, and all those things in a, in a way that had never been done for me before. Um, and then I also through that course was exposed to some other thinkers and writers who were able to incorporate um, their theology into sort of ecological stewardship. And that was a way in which I tried to sort of marry and and I, I the word that comes to mind is like redeem um, this sort of evangelical past um, and find a new use for it um, and find a new way to connect with my faith. Uh, and there's a whole type of theology called creation care theology, mm-hmm. um, which really focuses on, on, on connecting to the natural world uh, within the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I then took all of that energy and wrote my thesis on creation care theology and evangelical politics um, and sort of this thing that happened in the mid mid 2000s um, with evangelicals pushing back against climate change policy um, and and what that was all about really um, mm-hmm. and that's where I started learning more about um, the activities of the religious right over the past several decades um and throughout all this this is what's happening with me sort of intellectually uh we're we are still attending like a storefront church here in chicago which is pretty evangelical and fundamentalist um i wouldn't personally identify that way even then but uh it's one of those sort of common stories where you you stay because you love the people Mm. um but then we ended up having a daughter um and we started to push back against the leadership which was strongly complementarian and i already based on what we were talking about i'm i have strong opinions about that and so does my my wife um and we made allowed to have opinions (laughs) (laughs) you're doing doing a bad job you're just letting her walk all over you with her opinions uh, (laughs) so um yeah (laughs) Um, were you about to say having a daughter made you start kind of questioning what your what her little tiny ears would be hearing well and within that context yeah i was like i don't want i don't want her to receive any messaging i i I don't want i don't want her to receive any messaging that she can or can't do something in the name of god Mm. it just was not something that that i wanted for for her life um, and for her development. Um, and we made that known and then we just, we had to leave that church and that was sort of the last, um, the last time we ever were really involved in evangelical religious institutions. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's when the, the, these ideas that have been developing over the last 10 years or so really started to coalesce and like, oh, wow, um, this is something that a lot of us have gone through and it's something that deserves to be explored. Um, And to me, it made sense for it to be 
within a podcast because it allows for these longer conversations with with more nuance than say like a blog post or something um you know so just hearing someone tell their story in their own words about what it was about evangelicalism that that was too constrictive for them um that wasn't life-giving to them and really giving language to that um is what was really motivated me to begin and what continues to motivate me now because a lot of people like even though people do tend to quote-unquote move on um they still need to know that there are other people who have gone through this before and there is hope and life and good things on the other side of processing this sort of trauma because i mean it is traumatic it's traumatic to lose faith even if you rekindle it or transform it in some way uh it's still a a a loss um yeah and the person that hooked uh you and i up is jamie lee finch and Mm -hmm. she obviously in her book you are your own talks all about how the trauma is real it's not only it's not even just in your head it's in your body and as a spiritual being i believe it's in your soul Mm-hmm. The amount of work I've had to do just to believe I'm not going to hell, just right. walking through the world on a daily basis, you know, has right. been really freeing and also terrifying at the same time. Right. Exactly. And yeah, and Jamie's a great example of the, the sort of people that I've been able to meet through this work just because because of things like YouTube and podcasts and social networks. Um people are able to network in a way that uh, that just we m- maybe weren't before. There are absolutely predecessors to this. I have no uh, belief of that I am some sort of <laughs> uh, <laughs> pioneer. I'm uh, or that I, that this conversation started at the dawn of podcasting. No, people have been, Uh, leaving this movement for decades and they've been writing and they've been studying and they've been sharing their stories. It's just that um, with the amplification tools that we have available to us and the networking tools, um, we're able to connect quicker. Uh, And I think that that is a a real honest to goodness blessing. Um, And it's, it's enabling us to put language to things. Uh, Cause I think, one of the things, even when we talked for my show, I just had you on, on my show recently. Um, one of the things that I, that we talked about for your work is that you give people permission. Um, and I think that's so valuable. Um, and that's what so many of us are doing now is that we're just trying to find ways to receive the permission to be human, you know? Yeah, <laughs> um, Totally. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything that you're saying. And the language has been so valuable to me too. Mm-hmm. When I had been on my 10, 13 year old journey of deconstruction, just having the word deconstruction would have been so freeing. And then knowing that it's possible that it could end in reconstruction would have been also such a blessing. It, I right. imagine it would have felt less scary to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any Absolutely. particular um, guests or memories of people that were um, profoundly impactful or had the most impact on either you or the audience as a whole? Oh man, it's really hard for me to uh, 
to choose. I mean, there have been a couple of, um, I mean, besides uh, me, of course, <laughs> yeah, for the I mean, first answer. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, I, I, I really do uh, love all the conversations that I've had. Um, some that, uh, Jamie Lee Finch's work has absolutely been very impactful. Um, so has Linda K. Kleins. I really yeah. enjoyed talking to to her. Um, personally, for myself, I um, I had the opportunity to meet and talk to Dave Bazan a couple of times from Pedro the Lion, and his work was just has meant so much to me. Even going back to college, I started uh, learning about his work. Uh, in college and it was really wonderful um, to be able to connect with him through this. Um, others include uh, Tori, Tori Douglas um, who does great work on, on Twitter and elsewhere um, and uh, Austin Channing Brown mm. who wrote a book called I'm Still Here which was about um, a person uh, a, a black woman it's about her experience in largely white spaces um, and acknowledging all of the elements of race that have impacted her life. Um, and that book to, to me is an absolute must read for anyone that's in like an evangelical, evangelical-ish, a progressive, like any sort of religious space that is predominantly white um, or even non-religious space uh, to be aware of the racial dynamics um, that, that, people of color have to face when they're in that environment. Um, yeah. Others, I've had Chrissy Stroop on uh, a few times and have always enjoyed working with her. Um, man, the list just sort of goes <laughs> on and on. Um, I was going to read off all the episodes. <laughs> no, that's um, great though. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a real pleasure to talk to Pete Holmes um, just because his comedy has meant a lot. Uh, and I was able to speak to him this summer, uh, which was really incredible. Um, he really puts, I am, anyone that hasn't read it, please go read Comedy Sex God because he just brings such a lighthearted ease to all of the pain. Like I am, um, one of my best friends, Haven, likes to say that in a past life, I was like a depression era poet. <laughs> and then, uh, she's like you're always leaning towards sadness and everything being so heavy and i'm like oh, right. <laughs> and then um so it's really refreshing for me to because and then when i'm on a real journey like deconstruction or worrying about hell and satan just nice to pick up a book from someone like pete holmes and be like oh, god right. also created laughter and we're allowed to lighten up for the love of god literally right oh yeah for sure <laughs> and it's still yeah. profound and everything at the same time Yep. And he swings back around basically to reconstruction. And I think he still considers himself a Christian. Yeah. 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 He, he, in his show, he, he oftentimes refers to himself as Christ leaning, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. he's definitely incorporated a lot of uh, meditation and things into, into his spirituality. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I also, um, you know, I, I do try to stay open to, to spirituality um a lot of times it is hard for me it's uh with christianity just because i talk to people who have been wounded by it so often um mm. and just some other life experiences i've had it's hard to it's hard to square that sometimes um but in general i you know i also uh 
definitely respect everyone's autonomy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in what you believe. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to come back to is I, uh, is wholeness over holiness. I care more that you're whole than where you, where you find and how you develop your, your meaning and your meaning making. I love that whole wholeness over holiness. And the thing that I really love about that is those two words would be synonymous for me. Right. And I think, yeah, I was compartmentalized very much. So in evangelicalism and a part of reconstruction was becoming whole again, AKA holy. (laughs) Right. And then one, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is the, the way that the, in particular, like say the Holy spirit, was was taught to us in evangelical circles um was sort of like this inner narc you know (laughs) it was always just trying to you know keep you in line um and in inner narc yeah (laughs) and so like this so that's so different than the way a lot of other people see you know there are all these synonyms i remember uh at the church i went to in high school we had this big gym and um, around on the wall, there was, there were all these different names for, for, for God and the Holy Spirit and things like that. And one of them was like wise counselor. And I never thought of the Holy Spirit or, you know, it was just like, like just this person that was making sure I wasn't obeying the hormones in my body as a teenager. Yeah. Literally served one purpose to like police (laughs) your sexuality. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so anyways, um, and I think that that was for some people like that's, that's too hard to, to, to overcome. And so for them, the healthier thing is to disengage. And I think that's a valid option. Um, and I, I respect people's, uh, respect people who do that just as much as I respect people who find ways to, to marry those two terms again that that being holy and being whole are the same thing um but sometimes that idea of holiness can become toxic yeah i'm not afraid of um embracing the semantics basically like mm-hmm. when someone says the universe i don't immediately assume that there's some hippy dippy person i can't relate to i'm mm-hmm. closer to assuming if they're doing it with like love and compassion and selflessness versus like LA Venice beach universe, you know, draw good <laughs> things to yourself. You know, if it's done with the same compassion and love I've seen, you know, in true Christianity, it's, I would see it. Then, um, then I'm like, Oh, your universe is just synonymous with my God. And that's the, the term you're comfortable using, but I find it very hard to believe we're not talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. For example, right. Um, or sin for me too. That's a word that I, I guess I've redefined for myself. Um, because it's hard to completely let it go when I'm in a space where people are going to be asking me exactly about that word. I don't want to be like, Oh, we don't use that word (laughs) on God is gray. So for me, the redefinition of it is sin is anything that causes harm. And, and that can be so many things harm to your body yourself your environment people around you right everything and also if you are doing an action like having a 
uh, a relationship that's consensual with somebody and you can't trace it back to any harm, to me, that's an easy way of discerning whether or not you're living in sin. Because, and, and that like disengagement or redefinition was so important to me. Mm-hmm. That's not a word, is it? Redefin- <laughs> redefining it was so important to me mm-hmm. um, because you know, I couldn't carry that baggage around anymore. I had to be like, okay, if I am, you know, doing something that I've been traditionally told is a sin, but I can't trace it back to harm, then I can rest more at ease that what I'm feeling from the Holy Spirit is true, that it's not a sin. Mm -hmm. But yeah. 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 And I mean, the, the great thing about that definition is that you can also apply it to things that aren't necessarily individual, right? You can say, there are societal sins too, because there are things Absolutely. that we do as societies um, that are harmful, like you know, uh, like institutional racism. Uh, that's not something that we really talked about in white evangelical circles, uh, and mm. and degradation of the environment, and just just complete apathy towards climate change. Um, those two things are two major things impacting our world and they just were non-issues. Come on, you know, and, and to bring that language of sin to those can, can put those things in, in, uh, in focus in a way. Yeah. I love that. I agree. It goes both ways. It can either redefine something that you weren't considering a sin because all of a sudden you're like, oh, dang, I can trace that back to harm, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and the other, the other is true as well. I right. Yeah. Um, this is a good segue into, I just wanted to end, not that we're in a huge rush, but I want to end <laughs> on some of the knowledge you have for anyone that's interested about, um, you know, how evangelicalism is traditionally treated the subjects of climate change and social justice and why social justice is, is such an evil term right now among a lot of conservative Christians. Yeah, I I mean I, it's it's definitely one of the things that's hard about criticizing evangelicalism in America, uh white evangelicalism in particular is that it's not necessarily monolithic. It's not and that's what that's one of the things that a lot of evangelical leaders use to deflect meaningful criticism of evangelicalism. And what I mean by that is say uh, a a year or two ago, like Timothy Keller, who has a big church in uh, in New York, um, publishes something in the New Yorker that's sort of the soft piece about about evangelicals and Trump and and just the general tenor and attitude towards evangelicals and sort of saying, oh well, we're not really this big scary group or whatever. And it's and there is a kernel of truth to that, and that's why it works as a as a tactic to deflect this criticism. Mm. But there are absolutely examples um, of these large evangelical institutions that have enacted enacted decisions and, and made choices that are can be criticized. Um, within, say, for example, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, yeah. there was actually within that particular denomination in the 80s there was this very strong fundamentalist takeover of the group it's not 
widely known that the Southern Baptist Convention was initially in favor of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. But they were. And over time, because it became politically uh, valuable to be an opponent of that, they began to shift their official opinions. And now they've begun, now there are ballots that were brought within the last few years to the general convention there of just denouncing white supremacy. And they almost failed. They didn't, it was brought forth by, uh, by an African-American Southern Baptist pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't for the social media outcry, it probably would have died on the floor. Uh, but there are a number of number of people that are vocal online and within their congregations that think that, well, social justice is like anti-Christian or against the gospel instead of instead of in keeping with the people that they claim to worship, which who was a homeless first century Jewish rabbi who was yeah. a carpenter, uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, it just doesn't. And who was murdered by the state. Like, that's the story of Jesus. Um, And that's a completely valid telling of the story of Jesus. And Jesus was not white, but he's been made to be white. (laughs) No, I know. Exactly. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just worth noting exactly that, that Jesus represented all of these things that we, you know, that that teaching doesn't Mm -hmm. validate. But also, I would, I think the fear that's brought on or the way they're able to hate on, quote, social justice and consider it evil is because they say social justice is about letting anyone be whatever gender and let pedophiles use bathrooms whenever they want and look at, you know, how we're going to impose ourselves on the environment when only God can change climate change and you know, they're just calling social justice out for these things that they are somehow spinning to be anti-biblical or anti-Christ. Right. So how are they doing that or why? Well, they're, I mean, they, they certainly are, are trying to maintain social control, even if they are a minority, both uh, within the general population and when they are losing, um, they're losing membership for a long time they they did um sort of brag about the fact that mainline denominations were declining but evangelical denominations were were either growing or maintaining membership but when you look at people uh, within our age cohort of say your mid mid 30s or so and younger uh the rise of the of the nuns people who have no religious affiliation is a major existential threat to them yeah. um and so you'd see them you know, really trying to maintain control. Um, and they are not afraid to to compromise their beliefs. And that's especially clear in, uh, within the embrace by evangelical leaders of, of the Trump administration. Um, and that, I mean, there's so much to be said there. <laughs> yeah. um, but, I mean, a lot of... That that example in regards to the Southern Baptist Convention is just just one example within within uh, history of of white evangelicalism, and uh, there's so much out there, and that's the that's the really wonderful and great and sort of scary thing is that uh, they the, 
the criticism of these groups has been happening for a really long time, but um, they are very, very good at media representation. And they also, there's so much, if you say, if you look at the top 200 uh, religion and spirituality podcasts in the United States, you'll see that a lot of them are evangelical, maybe even probably the majority on a given day. Um, and that speaks to their reach and their influence. Um, is it because we're not talking vibrantly enough? Are we supposed to be like, and listen to my podcast? <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, know. Are they just yeah. more entertaining? What are we doing wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, I, to me, so my, my two main things that I like to, that, that I try to focus on is giving some more light to these criticisms that have that have been going on for a long time there's books by kevin cruz um oh man i'm gonna blank on uh i believe it's called one nation under god uh Mm -hmm. there's a wonderful um there's a wonderful essay by randall balmer um that's about how the the religious rights the reason why it was formed was not because of abortion but because of segregation yes um which is Which is and very, that's a historical very, fact. You can right. Google that real quick and figure out that <laughs> Right, uh, and and all and um, criticisms from pl- people like Jamar Tisby re- related to race. Um, there's all these things that people can educate themselves about the things that that really illustrate even institutionally why a lot of these evangelical groups just do do not have moral standing and i don't have personally i don't have any interest in in maintaining or redeeming the the name evangelical i think that it's the evangelical leaders themselves who have uh disgraced the term mm-hmm. um and they they should bear the bear the cost of that um and i would say too disgrace the term christian cuz i think also on my uh journey of deconstruction I, out of pure stubbornness, refused to ever not call myself a Christian because I really resented the fact that I felt it had been hijacked by people that had such contradictory values to my own. And this was before Trump. This was just me battling, you know, the idea of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and, like you said, complementarianism in in really abusive ways and lack of consent in sexuality and the way the church has addressed, you know, sexual mm-hmm. accusations, et cetera. It was just like looking at the church being like, oh, I have, I used to almost wish there was a different term. And again, that's why I love that we are naming these things because now calling myself a progressive Christian is kind of like, okay, what's that? That's something new. And that's something that I feel like I can actually like walk around and have my head held high because right. it, it, you know, checks all the boxes of what I truly believe and what I've been learning. Right. And I don't yeah. feel at all resonant with caging kids at the border and justifying it or, or calling Donald Trump God's chosen one, you know, even right. the way people are manipulated into that. It's, it's so clear to see. And I know anyone that's hate listening to this right now would be like triggered, but I'm just like, I'm sorry. It's true. Yes. The Bible says 
that God is the one that raises up leaders and tears them down, but he doesn't say just zombie walk and follow them into the grave because they're your leader. You're still supposed to be questioning authority and Jesus certainly did. So why not us? And also I think people might be offended by saying, oh, they've lost their morality by choosing certain leaders that aren't reflective of the values of Christ. Um, which obviously I don't see Trump in his personal life or in his policies reflecting Christ to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Seth Meyers just had his comedy special. Did you see that? Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and he has a whole portion on politics and he's like, Trump is not only a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's like a lazy wolf. He's just like in a, <laughs> in a shitty woolly sweater walking around with his full wolf mask out being like, bah, I'm a wolf. And that's really what it is. But I've also, I've heard and I've seen statistics and different polls from people on the evangelical side that are very openly saying look, it's not the man that we are saying is God. It's not the man that we are depending on to be a moral person. It's the fact that he is pushing things that are important to me as an evangelical, which is making sure babies are saved through pro-life policy and making sure my children aren't destroyed through, you know, LGBTQ and gender politics and stuff. Right. And so, I mean, people have openly admitted to being willing to compromise their vote as long as that person is, you know, perpetuating these ideas. Which is largely become so, so much of it is just partisan instead of it being a true examination of either the history of, of these groups and, and how their positions have changed relative to something like abortion or reproductive rights, um, in order to, to meet their political needs and, and goals. Um, I, I definitely want to like point people to uh, to folks like Asha Daya, who I've had on my, my podcast, who's really focuses on reproductive rights and, and is collecting the stories of people um, who have come from evangelicalism and and are speaking on the record about their experiences relative to reproductive rights. And um, she's working on a documentary in, in that regard. Um, and like just really there's so many resources out there uh that you just have to you just have to be curious and examine why you are choosing to have that position even when you know it's not consistent with what you state that you believe yeah mhm exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that that's the other thing is that like so much the other the other thing that i um that i through my work i i want to illustrate to people is these aren't harmless things people are being harmed um uh for instance through the church two movement i spoke with emily emily joy and hannah posh after that after that uh, hashtag was launched and that has become its own distinctive critical movement um yeah. and it's so important that that people realize that within the context of purity culture, within the context of uh, clergy abuse, all of these things are happening right now. Um, and in all denominations, it's right. not just the Catholic church. Right. And, and that's something that needs to, that needs to be reckoned with. And on a, 
on an individual and a societal level. Um, and, and that's so important to realize is that these aren't just like abstract notions. There are things at stake for queer people. Um, they're, if they're taught that they're sinful, they are going to be more prone to suicide or harmful, um, harmful actions like towards themselves, self-harm, um, all of these things. Like this is not, this is not hypothetical. This is happening now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard to, to keep both those things in mind, like look at these things and, and have, um, have a sense of the history of it. Um, but also be aware that like this history was lived out in people's bodies, in people's lives. Uh, and it's important to acknowledge that and say, why, why do I choose to continue to perpetuate this type of Christianity? And could, would my, um, would my energy be best served not in trying to redeem or change an institution that does not want to be changed or by speaking out against that? And that's what I've chosen to do and what I think a lot of other people um, have chosen to do as well. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think I feel similarly, except I've wanted to stay on the inside and Vicki Beeching, the author of, um, what is it? She came out as a lesbian and she was mm-hmm. like a really famous Christian singer and, um, her book name is escaping me right now, but, um, she was like the same thing. I'm not going to leave as an insider because I want to impact people from the inside out. And I think it's just a balance because like you said, there's some people that don't want to change. And I do think it's interesting the way we are seeing each other. Like I'm always called a Jezebel or a heretic And then I want to throw insults in return that call people Pharisees. (laughs) And that's just like our natural thing that I notice progressives and conservatives go towards. But at the end of the day, you know, it's funny because a lot of people will say you have to take up your cross. If you want to be a real Christian, you have to take up your cross. And that means sacrificing your sexuality. That means sacrificing and voting for someone you don't necessarily believe in because they're going to help with these huge issues that are supposedly really important or impactful in a good way when it's the opposite, when you dive in. But anyway, you know, they're saying, take up your cross and these difficult things like, yes, it'll be difficult to tell your gay best friend that they're going to hell, but it's your responsibility to take up your cross. And I see it, what you're saying is the, as more beneficial and more true. It's like, what if taking up your cross is actually stepping back with humility and researching and learning and setting yourself to task on this difficult mission of figuring out where your beliefs come from and if you can or should actually truly hang your hat on them. Mm -hmm. And if you can, great. If you do two weeks worth of research and you find that pro-life is saving more children in your particular city, I'm not going to argue with you, like, especially if you have evidence in front of you, but you know, all my research has shown me the opposite. So I vote the opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know that to me is taking up your cross, diving in deep to yourself, holding people accountable for their sins, like the church Two movement. Right. And then at the same time, trying to not be 
bitter and angry and actually be a good Christian about it, even if you're not a Christian anymore. <laughs> but, you know, right. do so with love and patience as much as you can afford until it starts hurting you. Right. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. But it's a responsibility and people should not blindly walk like sheep to the the slaughter. We should be taking up that responsibility. Absolutely. And I don't, I, again, going back to under like a changing idea of the character of God and things like that. I don't think that, that God wishes for us to, to hate ourselves. I mean, even go, go back to, the the two commandments that that what are the what is the greatest commandment love your name love your neighbor as yourself so you're supposed to <laughs> love your no wonder we self. all hate our neighbors so much because we hate <laughs> ourselves so much <laughs> and so even even if you go to that and like that i think a lot of us were taught things like christ must increase and i must decrease um, but that was sort of warped in a way of, of saying, well, this idea of God is more important than understanding myself and understanding my needs and understanding what I need to flourish as a human, to be valuable, um, not valuable, to be, to be healthy in this world. Um, and that is a destructive take on that, on that text. And I think it's not even like if God is love and he, and God commands us to love our neighbor as ourself, um, then we shouldn't know ourselves. And even if you take, for example, for instance, one of the going back in my biography again um, to college, a big part of my my biblical courses uh, we used as an example the what's called the Philippian hymn, which is in Philippians two, and it's that passage that's about how Christ emptied himself and uh, made himself a servant. Like that, to me, within the context of 2019 America, as a white man with a lot of privilege, that means emptying and being being aware of my privilege and using that to to address the needs of the marginalized um, Mm. and to acknowledge the ways in which my tradition has the tradition that formed me has made done a lot of harmful things to our country um, and to work against that. And that, you know, um, I think that's in keeping with the Christian tradition too. And I don't think, uh, I think the way in which evangelicals try to frame things as anti-Christian or whatever, well, I, I just disagree. Uh, Like even, um, and, and that's why. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's beautifully said. And it kind of all goes back to what you said originally, which is, um, you know, wholeness and holiness Mm -hmm. being synonymous, really, you know, we're taught so much to hate our flesh and the more we hate ourselves, the more we judge ourselves, the more we doubt ourselves, the more that we are outputting that into the world and judging and harming and hating on others. Mm -hmm. And I see that really reflective. So if you work on your own wholeness, research your little heart out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And 
really, yeah, like you said, address, and, and it's crazy that privilege is such a trigger word for conservative people too, not as right. a whole, but you know, some people, it's just like, why is that tr- triggering? I mean, it's so, uh, it's something that I've been shocked and horrified to learn more about. And that just, again, goes to prove my privilege, of course. The fact that I had no idea a black girl's experience, same age, even same neighborhood could be so incredibly different than mine in her evangelical church and her faith has been such an eye-opening experience. And I'm so grateful to know about it. Right. And that's, and I mean, it's, you can, you can have your pride hurt and all those different things. You can say that it's an unfair characterization. You can do all of these things, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's more just about so much of it comes back to like what you said, like research. It's listen to other people. You don't have to have an opinion. You just need to listen to their experience and not be a jerk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, I, I, I have less, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I have, I don't have a, a ton of, I I think it comes down to like differences in the way in which liberals and conservatives use language. Um, But, and, and a host of other like assumptions that everyone brings to the table, but in general, like investigating claims of privilege and things like that is completely worthwhile and will illuminate your understanding of your peers in society and how our society has been developed over time. Um, yeah. It's completely valuable, and it, I think it's it's very important for folks to address those things as you're leaving evangelicalism, um, and try to tackle those things too, because they will um, they will impact your view of of church and your understanding of God and your understanding of other people, and that's all the stuff that that motivate motivated us to begin with, and so it's good to continue that. Yeah. And also your politics don't have to be aligned with um, your religion. I don't think a liberalism or conservatism completely checks every single box. You know, I think your research can send you in either direction. I can be left-leaning on some issues, right-leaning on others. And um, that has nothing to do with my faith. Right. And that's another thing I think I resent that, you know, people have made being a Republican to supposedly be the Christian way. And it's like, no, the Christian way is really being a free thinker, being out for justice, being out for truth. And, you know, that can change and vacillate over time according to who we're being presented. Right. (laughs) And I mean, yeah. And American politics in particular as conservatism, the conservative party has abandoned so many conservative principles um, the only one they really stick to is free market stuff, but I mean, there's no fiscal responsibility uh, that any any argument they have about being the morally superior group has gone out the window because they children have died in captivity, uh, like even on Christmas Day last year. So I don't want to hear anything about the, the GOP being the moral choice um, because yeah. it's just not 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 now. Um, not right now. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, sorry, I'm going to stand on that, but not (laughs) not right now, not for the environment, not for individuals, not for immigrants. Right. Yep. Not not for me. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, for anyone who's made it to the end, thank you for listening. Um, you know, I hesitate to get into politics because I know it can be so alienating for people that are so up in arms about it or have their own, you know, very strong stance. But mm. <sighs> whatever. I'm not going <laughs> to censor myself too much. It's like, this is my opinion. You can have a different one. You're so welcome in the God is Great community. And Again, this this platform is all about conversation. And um, I hope you will all steer yourselves to the Exvangelical podcast. Uh, there's a wonderful one, Jamie Lee Finch. All of the others that Blake mentioned as some of his favorites are ones you could definitely dive into. But there's three years worth of material that you could have a lot of fun with. And um, I listen to it and I still maintain my Christianity. So I don't... <laughs> It's not a dangerous yeah. space. It's yeah. a very open space to hear different people's opinions and where yep. they've come from. And ideally it just makes you feel less alone in your walk, wherever you may be on that path. That's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people <laughs> find you? Um, yeah. As you mentioned, you can find the the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, um, Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any of you, any of the other podcast players out there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BR Chastain. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Exvangelical Pod. Um, my, my website is a little out of date, but you can go to exvangelicalpodcast.com. Uh, and finally, there is a Facebook group too, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash exvangelical. Um, and that is, a, there's a ton of activity there. There's over 5,000 members and they're all just chatting about different things relative to leaving evangelicalism. Um, and just similar to the God is great community, there are folks that are still Christian folks that are no longer Christian. Um, the focus is just, uh, on conversation around what it's like to, to leave this sort of, um, this sort of religion and, and find a new path afterwards. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Thanks very much, Brenda, for having me on. Yes, we love you guys. God bless.